Enjoy every stage of life. Uh, that is the advice that an experienced parent I remember giving to us when we were expecting our first child. And I thought that was some wise advice because parents are so often quick to push their kids onto the next stage that they fail to see the blessings of what they're in, right? You, you can't wait to, to see that first step and you video them just kind of wobbling three steps across the room and you, you share it with all their relatives until a couple years down the road when they're into everything or a couple months down and you're like, oh, I wish they were sedentary again, right? Where you could just pop them there and they wouldn't move. Uh, you, you wish you could enjoy that stage of life, but it's not just parents maybe pushing kids to the next level. I think that's, that's something for us as, as people. We're always looking on to what's next. Uh, an elementary school kid can't wait to get to middle school. Middle school can't wait to get to high school. High school can't wait to get to college. College can't wait to be employed. Or, or parents can't wait for their college students to be employed. And, and working people can't wait to retire. And you're always moving forward, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right? I mean, that's biblical in some ways that the Bible says we should always press on, press on toward the, the goal that's waiting for us, but not necessarily at the expense of seeing the blessings that are at, and with us at our current stage of life. And I wonder sometimes if we do that with Christmas. If we, if we just kind of, okay, we celebrate it, and then boom, it's gone. And I know some people very methodically celebrate and you know the 12 days of Christmas that we're still in, and that's great. But it seems like we're so quick to get on to the next thing. You know, it's only 45 days until Ash Wednesday. And then we get to you know begin Lent and the Easter Easter season. We're so quick to go from cradle to cross. And and again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, the Bible does that quite often. What we're going to be looking at from Hebrews 2 makes that jump in, in one sentence from cradle to cross. And I get how how majority of the Bible, the bibliography of Jesus, spends a whole lot more time on the end of his life than on the beginning of his life. The message of the cross is front and center. We preach Christ crucified. But, those early stages of Jesus' life, while they are not many that are recorded for us in Scripture, there's really only four times that we hear about Jesus from ages 0 to 30. When he's born, which we celebrated on Christmas. When he's 40 days old and presented at the temple, and where Simeon and Anna, that's what Pastor Dermay shared with you last week. Uh, when he's somewhat between, somewhere between the ages of 0 and 2, and the wise men come and visit him, which is what we call this, the, the celebration of the Epiphany, which is January 6th, which happens this week. We're not actually celebrating Epiphany in church this year, but we'll have the season of Epiphany. And then age 12, what well, we just heard about him in the temple. So it's only those four times that we hear about Jesus as a youth. So he doesn't, it doesn't get a lot of press, but it gets press. And so I think it's also valuable for us. What, what can we glean? What can we enjoy about this stage and appreciate about this stage of life? When we see Jesus as an infant, when we see Jesus as young, when we see Jesus as human. And so in order to do that, 
We're going to look at these words from Hebrews chapter 2 uh, to guide us through that today, where it says, where it says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil. So you already see, you know, the, the writer to the Hebrews makes that quick jump from, from being human to his death, going from beginning of his life to end of his life. But in, in free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Like I said, there's so much here that takes us to the end of Jesus' life, but as far as enjoying and appreciating the beginning of Jesus' life, we're going to really focus in on this one phrase, he too shared in their humanity. What does that mean? What does it mean to be human? You know, we often talk about the, the uniqueness of humans. We talk how we each have our own DNA, or we talk about how we have our own fingerprints, or we have our own personalities. We sometimes even marvel at how siblings who share DNA and, and were raised in the same household, but their personalities are opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, how does that happen, right? Or are we, I just heard again uh, this week, one of the top gifts uh, that this Christmas again was 23andMe, uh, that there's this, there's this idea, there's this, you know, interest in genetic testing and, and ancestry. And so we, we, we hear all these stories, what makes you, you? And I think that becomes our focus today. We're talking about the uniqueness. What, what the writer to the Hebrews is really focusing, though, is not on the uniqueness of humans, but on the leading us to consider what's the commonality of humans. And we know it can't be things like hairline or jawline or eye color or hair color. Those things are, are attributes. We call them accidental attributes. They're not essential to making you a human, right? I am just as much human today as I was 25 years ago when I had hair. Right? In fact, you might say I am 35 pounds more human today than I was 25 years ago when I had hair. And so it, it, it can't be those things that make us human. So what is human? You ever think about that? What makes a human a human? And you'd say, well, okay, I'm in church, so I'm going to give the right answer. It's the humans have a soul. Yeah, you're right. Humans have a soul. That's part of what makes us human. And yet, if you see a dog being walked down the sidewalk on a leash, you don't say, oh, that must be a human walking that person or that dog down because I see a soul. No, you don't. You see flesh and blood. That's how you know that's a human that's walking towards you. And, he, and, and maybe this sounds so basic. Yeah, big deal. Humans have flesh and blood. But it, do you really ever think about it? That was to no choice to you, that you got human flesh and blood, even with the so-called advances in, 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 in science. Yeah, you can maybe change flesh, but you still have flesh and blood. It's not like you were born one day and, and the doctor said, all right, you have a week to decide. 
Are you going to be a cat, a dog, or a human? No, you're going to be a human. Same thing when expectant parents get asked, well, what are you having? The, the choices are two. They didn't say, well, you know, the ultrasound wasn't clear. If it was an anteater or an elephant or a, a giraffe. No, it's, it's a human. I mean, it, it, that's the way God designed it. That's the way God made this world. If you go back to the Genesis account of creation, there's a recurring phrase there, an important recurring phrase. Whether we're talking about humans or plants or animals, that everything reproduces according to its own kind. Humans have humans. And, 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 and plants have their own kind of plants. And, and you stay within in the species. And so somewhere along the line, without getting into the biology of it, your parents came together, God blessed them, and they gave birth to a human being called you. You had no choice in the matter. But God did. God did. Before, before that Holy Spirit overshadowed the Virgin in Nazareth, Jesus existed. The second person of the triune God, whom we call the Son, existed from all eternity. But he didn't exist as a human. He always was and is God. But he didn't have flesh, bones. He, he, he wasn't, you know, like this. When, when, the, when the Trinity, when Father, Son, and Holy Spirit met around the conference table of heaven and said, hey, let us make man in our own image. As it says there in Genesis, the image they were talking about was not this. They didn't have this. They didn't, they didn't have a hand that they said, hey, we want to make Adam's hand like ours. They didn't have a face that they wanted to say, hey, let's make Adam and Eve look like us. No, they, they did not exist until God, at the right time, when the time had fully come, God sent his son to be born of a woman. When the time had fully come, God, the, 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 the God who's the omniscient God who knows everything, took on a human brain that would have to grow in wisdom, as we just heard about. The omnipresent God, who is everywhere, took on a human body that would have to grow in stature, like we just heard about. What a miracle. And, and, and why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because that's what it would take to be our Savior. You see, sin had killed off the spirituality of humans. Once Adam and Eve sinned, it's not like they could just go to God and say, Okay, God, give us some words of wisdom here. Teach us how we can escape death. No, they needed a substitute. They needed someone who would step into their shoes, who would who would live under that law that God had given. They needed someone to come in who would pay the price, who would, who would shed his own blood to pay the price of sin that God had established. And so at just the right time, that's what Jesus did. He took on 
flesh. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to go home thinking that being human is sinful. Every human sins, but being human in and of itself is not a sinful thing. It can't be. It can't be. Otherwise, Adam and Eve, if having flesh and blood, would have been sinful. Or Jesus, you know, even glorified, resurrected Jesus. When he goes and sees his disciples, what do you say? Here, touch me. See, he's got flesh and bones, and, and he couldn't be perfect if, if having flesh and bones was sinful in and of itself. Or even us someday when we rise from the dead. What does Job say? He says, I look forward to, I, I, I can't wait to the resurrection. I know that my Redeemer lives. But in the, in the end, I, with my own eyes, my own flesh, I will see God. When you are raised from the dead someday to have flesh and bones again, that you're not going to be sinful. So having flesh and bones is not a bad thing. It's not a sinful thing. And yet, I don't want to downplay just what a step this was for Jesus, the Almighty God, to take on human flesh. He is not just going down one rung on the ladder. You know, he's not just going from being a, a, a senior God to a junior God or a major God to a minor God. Uh, if you look at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 2, it really stresses there that, that God made himself lower than even the angels, that the Creator became less than the creatures, lowering himself. And that is such a, a foreign concept to us because we live in a world that it's all about climbing up the ladder, not about lowering. I mean, we, we maybe talk about things like a servant leadership or a servant leader, and we say, oh, that's great. Yeah, but they're still a leader. That doesn't mean they just say, I'm going to stop being a leader and only become a servant. A boss doesn't just become a worker. And I, I don't know how we can fathom what that means to go from God to humans. You know, you, you maybe think, who are some of the people on this planet who, who really think highly of themselves, who are, who are way up here, maybe you think of a prima donna athlete, right? And so here you are, in a, in a month from now, there's going to be a Super Bowl champion, and they're going to be up there on the podium just about to receive the, the Super Bowl trophy. And maybe the MVP is there, and... and only because you have a Packer shirt on today, we'll say, all right, it's Aaron Rodgers, all right? Um, last week when I preached at uh, uh, the Shepherd, I think it was Patrick Mahomes from the Chiefs or whatever, but can you imagine if Aaron Rodgers said, uh, thanks, but uh, no thanks. We're, we're going to forfeit this, this game, and, and we're going to give it to the 1-14, maybe soon to be 1-15 Jacksonville Jaguars. They can be the Super Bowl champ. You would never see that, right? Someone who's up on top gives something, someone who's on the low. Or, or you think of Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong, you know, that the astronaut, he, he steps onto the moon and he says, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Not nearly. Not nearly as, as much as this one step that God took into our world what a leap it meant for mankind. Because God, only, only because God stepped into our world, are we ever able to step into his. That's what it means for us. That Jesus became human. 
that the Almighty God became Emmanuel, God with us. Blows our mind away. You know, and I, I think when we talk about the steps that Jesus took to be our, our Savior, we often stress the steps that he took to get to the cross. Right? That, I mean, if you ever travel to Israel, you can, or, or you maybe have had Lenten sermon series about this, but the steps to the cross. If you travel to Israel, you can, you can walk the supposed way of sorrows, the Via Dolorosa, I've walked it. Right? And, and, and in no way, in no way am I trying to downplay just what it took for Jesus to make those final steps to the cross. I, there isn't a single one of us here who would have or could have done that. We would have run the, as far away as we possibly could have. He, he did take those steps. But again, not trying to downplay those, but understand those steps from cradle to cross were only possible because of the giant leap he took to come into this world in the first place. That he became human. That's amazing. Because he wanted to help humans. That he wanted to help you. I mean, the writer to the to the, the Hebrews puts it this way, for surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. He, he came to help humans, so he became a human, a descendant of Abraham. If God wanted to save the elephants, he would have come as an elephant. If he wanted to save the giraffes, he would have come as a giraffe, but he came as a human. And, and, and then it says, for this reason, why did he have to do that? For this reason, he had to be made, made like them, fully human, in every way, in order to be our substitute, he had to become like one of us. Not just like one of us, but he had to become one of us. 100% human. If you ever want to talk about an expression of commitment, there it is. It's not like Jesus could just go back on that after he's conceived and born and say, oh no, I'm not going to I don't want to do this anymore. When we, we talk about the conception, Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Those are not just the first two phrases of the second article of the Apostles' Creed. That is an expression of, of his commitment to you. He, he is all in. That is irreversible. You know, and I, I think about that, that expression of commitment that he makes in becoming human. And you compare it to how our commitment is to one another. You know, our, probably our greatest human expression of commitment is, is marriage, right? Two people stand in front of a judge or in front of a, uh, an ordained minister, and, and what do they promise to do? They say, I promise to be faithful to you until, until death parts us. Commitment. And we even have a symbol of commitment that we put on our fingers. Oh yes, it's a circle because it never ends. And yet, where do we live? Oh, just the world's capital of divorce, right? Uh, Reno, meaning that rings can be taken off and given back. Even tattoos can be scraped off if that's your new wedding ring. Our commitments 
don't last. And Jesus became human. That was something he, he couldn't go back on. So when you think of that phrase, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, just think about what that means, how committed Jesus is to be your Savior. And it says here, and why did he do this? In order that he might become a faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Uh, that a high priest, if you remember back to your, if you ever went through a, a catechism class, uh, we, we talk about Jesus being a high priest in here. And there's really two roles that a high priest in the Old Testament would do. A, he would make sacrifices. And that's alluded to here, that he would, he would sacrifice his own blood so that we would be at one with God again. And that's why Jesus had to become human. But there's another role of a high priest. And that is that he's a go-between. He's a mediator. Someone who acts on and speaks on behalf of the people before God and speaks on and acts on behalf of God to the people. And, and that's something that we, when we teach it in catechism, we say, you know what, that's a role that Jesus is still doing. And that's comforting for us today, that, that Jesus wasn't just committed to us those 33 years that he walked here on earth and when he finally gave up his life, but he's still committed to you as your high priest. He's still praying for you. He's still acting on your behalf. Beautiful, beautiful thought that the writer to the Hebrew shares with us here. Now there's one more thought that kind of comes out of left field, and I did it, I purposely didn't put this verse in, in the lesson. We didn't read it earlier because it, it feels like it comes out of left field, so I'm going to bring it in out of left field today. We're talking about everything that Jesus did as human, and then it goes on to say, and because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is another beautiful thought, beautiful truth about Jesus being truly human. That not only is he committed to you as your Savior, because he was human, but it also shows he's equipped to be your Savior. He's equipped to help you. The fact that he became human and was tempted in every way that you and I are, that means he's equipped to help you now, as you're human. And, and that is a beautiful thought for us to walk away with today. Again, that it wasn't just God with us for those 33 years that he walked this earth 2,000 years ago. But Jesus is just as committed and equipped to help you in your daily life today, tomorrow, whatever stage you're in. And so enjoy. Enjoy every stage of life. Because whatever stage of your life you are in, Jesus is right there with you. Committed and equipped to be your Savior. Amen.